When Fear Reigns producer Anthony Catalano was recently featured on the Hearts and Hands podcast, where he discussed his approach to producing online media content for churches. Give it a listen and support other small podcast programs. Here's Dr. Parlo and Pastor Ben. Welcome to another episode of When Fear Reigns, where we talk about living your faith in the secular world. I'm Ben Workentine, joined by Dr. John Parlo. Today we're talking about a big, hairy issue that a lot of Christians are smacking their nose against right now. What is a Christian's role in pursuing justice on earth? When we see things like Black Lives Matter or protesting of any kind, what's the right way to engage? What are the right questions to ask? What does God cause to? What is inbounds and what is out of bounds. We're diving into all of that. But before we do, we want to say a special thanks to those who have been joining the conversation on our Facebook group. Uh, It's a dynamic group that loves sharing ideas, bouncing things off of each other and being there for each other. The difference between, uh, it's different from our Facebook page. So make sure that if you're on the page, uh, you request to join the group and join the conversation there. We'd love to have you join us. We love having all your feedback and conversation. Uh, There's been really good discussion on that board. John, I got to start by asking, what is it like living through the Civil War? I mean, if we're talking about racial disparity, I got to imagine 1863 is a big year for for you and uh, want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I guess I would answer this way. (laughs) Apparently, you had asked for and had received permission to go on vacation next week. That's still on, isn't it? That permission is rescinded. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a pretty funny guy. That's that's great. Thanks. <laughs> well, all kidding aside, this seems like at the time that we're recording this in the middle part of June, uh, our culture seems to be imploding. Racism, riots, distrust, um, antipathy toward an anchor seem to be at all time highs. What are some of the thoughts going through your mind as a child of God, as a preacher and a leader in our city uh, that's been affected by everything going on in the world? I guess one of the things that strikes me is how similar this is to the first century where Mm. Jesus' apostles then did the work of the gospel message. I I think you look back in that culture, and I know there's varying degrees of all this, but what did you have? You had a a great divide between the haves Mm. and the have-nots. There really was no middle class, or it was disappearing rather rapidly. You had um, great racial tensions, Mm. both creed and color, and people picked on those little Christ, those Christians, quite heavily. You had all sorts of drama with politics. Uh, You had disease that would run right through Rome and other places of Asia Minor back then, the the Holy Lands as well. You had all of that. Uh, You had riots, and some of them didn't end so well for the people who were rioting, especially Mm -hmm. if you're rioting against the Romans. They didn't tolerate (laughs) your First Amendment right, which didn't exist back then. And yet, what happened? The gospel continued to heal, to save. Mm -hmm. And to spread. And that's my great hope, even in a culture right now that many people would consider to be somewhat hopeless. Mm. That's good. Thanks for grounding us. This is not, maybe the topics are, and the players are maybe somewhat new to the field, but the idea that Christianity is a religion designed for the hurting, designed for the divided, designed for the hopeless and the, the restless, I think that's that's good reminder for all of us. Um, Christianity is not born, nor is it designed for when things are going well. It's really designed for when things are hard. Uh, Life is full of suffering when you're feeling... Well, that's the whole book of Job. When people say, Mm -hmm. oh, I just don't have the patience of Job, I always know they haven't read the book. (laughs) Because Job wasn't always so patient. What Job Mm -hmm. really talks about is, what does faith in the true God 
look like when your life isn't going according to your plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. You know, I've I've thought a lot about uh, where where is the Christian in the midst of all of this? Um, what what are we drawn to or pulled to because of conscience, because of uh, trust in God? And I look back, and I don't know how far back this goes, but I would say that at least our tribe of Christian has tended to shy away from commentary on official action or governmental action when it comes to cultural or community engagement. What has been the thinking behind, why, why are we so reserved in, from entering into these kinds of discussions that are going on? Well, if you're talking about our tribe being uh, biblical confessional Lutherans, there's a reason for that. We believe in the, the two kingdom principle. That mm-hmm. is, as Christians on this earth, we live in two kingdoms. You live in the church mm-hmm. and the state. Uh, while God's word certainly um, guides life in the church, right? We always look to God's word as our source and our foundation. Natural law, and I, I guess I'd say reason or human reason, um, really guides the state. Now, sometimes the state enacts laws that you know are contrary to natural law and, sure. and to human reason. What then? You know, is the state really con- continuing to be the, the to be God's servant, as it says in Romans thirteen? Yes, but just not a very good servant, not, sure. not a very faithful servant. God requires our respect of and obedience toward the government officials, not necessarily because they always deserve that respect and obedience by mm-hmm. their actions, but mm-hmm. because the governing authorities owe their existence to God and they serve as his representatives. So, you know, I always tell people there's, when it comes to this, there's there's really, you have to understand there's no one size fits all. As Christians, we always are walking that narrow line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world and how we make sure we let our light shine. And I think, I always think of, it'd be very difficult today to be a Jesus follower and serve in political way. Yeah, yeah. You know, what happens if you have to continue to uphold laws that you know go contrary to scripture? Mm-hmm. Now you can do that even though you don't agree with that, but that's some of the things you have to face. I, I think of, we have senators who are Christians mm-hmm. and people in the House of Representatives who are Christians. How do you deal with people and you have a law in the land that says you're all right, it's our right to go ahead or legal, maybe not all right morally, but it's legal to go and have an abortion right up to mm-hmm. nine months and mm-hmm. some are even speculating or really probably asking for even past that. Mm-hmm. So those are all difficult things. But the big thing, the reason we have somewhat, especially from a Lutheran perspective, taken a, a back seat is because we understand the two kingdom concept. And we're not looking for, like many evangelicals, and you can look at church history in that, mm-hmm. we're not looking for a... a, a, a uh, a heaven on earth, mm-hmm. especially as the post-millennialists did. We're not looking for that. Mm-hmm. And so we understand our home is not this place. We're to certainly do all that God calls us to do while we're here, but this isn't heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think walking that line, you can be too, so heavenly oriented that you're, you're not bringing about the kind of reconciliation and peace. And you're not, I mean, Jesus talks about blessed are the peacemakers, right? So there there are things that we do here on earth. We are salt and light. We, we've been talking at St. Mark Ministries about the the uh, Jesus Sermon on the Mount, really Sermon on a Hillside. Yep. And frequently in there, he's talking about real world now with culture, with community. How do you impact that salt and light, uh, peacemakers, and uh, all kinds of things you can find in there? So you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no good here on earth. But I think you're the the warning is fair on the other side, where you're so so intent on bringing heaven to earth that you kind of miss out on the bigger picture. Sure. So that's absolutely. that's a hard tension to keep between, and and I think a lot of Christians will answer that maybe in slightly different ways. But that's a that's kind of the the principle that you've got sure. to hold intention. Sure. So. I mean, it, it kind of 
help us walk through some of those that thought process because I know there are Christians who are deeply passionate about the protests that are going right on right now, deeply passionate about the the racial injustice that's going on. Help us to think through, like if I'm trying to think through as a, as a Christian, should I go out this tonight and march? Like what are some things that I should be thinking about? Well, I think uh, certainly you can, in, in our country, we have some great blessings and among them are the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. And one of those rights is that First Amendment, which you can go ahead and protest in a peaceful way. Uh, what what has been tragic for me to see is so many people, uh, maybe they were peaceful protesters, but then there's others in their midst who are really just trying to mm-hmm. you know, take advantage of the situation to get whatever it is, maybe something they want from some store that they walk by every day. And others who are looking for political revolution mm-hmm. are kind of hijacking reasons people are, are doing this. I always think there's, there's, I always write down there's four parts or four headlines when it comes to theology of race. Um, first of all, we're all made by God. Mm-hmm. Every time I look at someone, I, I try not to see color or creed or background or history or any of those things. And I have to sometimes, I'll literally say to myself, this is a person for whom Jesus died. Mm-hmm. But this is a person Jesus made in the womb, and that person was recognized by Jesus as a person from the moment of conception. I need to acknowledge it. They're all made in the image of God. And, and for mm-hmm. the most part, we think that originally Adam and Eve had this incredible um, relationship with God that was in perfection and all of that. And that's lost because of our inherent sin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also our actual sin. But given to us in a real sense, when we come to faith in Jesus, we then have that uh, lost uh, image of God because of what the, the robe of righteousness Jesus clothes us with. And of course, when he comes again, we'll have that return to us in full measure. And that God did make distinction. He made variety. And so people are are distinctly different. Maybe it's skin color and so on. I always am amazed, having grown up in a black and white neighborhood in South Central Los Angeles during mm-hmm. pretty heightened times of protest mm. and and racial tension, uh, I'm amazed that, you know, people, we worship a God who came from heaven to earth, put on flesh, and that was olive-colored skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't white. It wasn't Dark black. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, Jesus did not have high cheekbones and blue eyes, <laughs> regardless of that <laughs> what? picture that's, that's your, your parents or your grandparents have <laughs> in their room. That That's not it's Every right. devotion book I've ever owned, Jesus is Anglo. <laughs> I, yeah, I just remember walking into my friends who were African-Americans, black families, and they always had a, a picture of Jesus, and he was always black. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. walk into mine, mine is always like German-Russian, you know? It's like, no, people, uh, Jesus even came here, different skin tone than many of the people listening to us. Mm-hmm. And also, the whole thing is, regardless of who you, who you are, you, you are called into relationship with the true Son of God through the work of the Holy Spirit using his word and sacraments. And we who are Jesus followers are to use those tools, those means, to bring people, regardless of their background, mm-hmm. regardless of their political affiliation, mm-hmm. regardless of how much melanin they have in their skin, to know who Jesus is. And, and that's great. Now, I think our protests are always the best way to do it. I think protests can be one way to mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. and can be a good. Unfortunately, what happens is sometimes people's sinful human nature takes over and you lose what you're trying to gain with the protest. You're trying to gain attention to something mm-hmm. that you think mm-hmm. needs to be um, corrected. And I certainly see that in the protests today. And I saw them back in the 1960s and mm-hmm. early 70s mm-hmm. when I was a kid in South Central Los Angeles. My dad had all of his plants in Watts. Mm-hmm. I, I understand all of that. But, you know, I, I think sometimes you got to kind of pick your spots and, and make sure that you get your message across without trying to turn off most of the audience you're trying to reach. I mean, 
the national anthem. I know a lot of people would talk, on both sides, of people listening to us about kneeling for the national anthem. I, I don't know if that's always the best place to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that as athletes, when they have such high profile, they can really use that high profile to really get a message across, in many cases, that needs to be mm-hmm. shared mm-hmm. with people. Absolutely. Um, regardless of, of all of that, I think that uh, one of the things I would encourage all of our people to do is keep uh, keep praying for all those in authority, as it says in mm-hmm. First Timothy. Mm-hmm. That's that's difficult. That's very difficult sometimes. And you pray for even those that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't want to be in their shoes mm-hmm. many times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as it says in Psalm thirty-three, you know, blessed is the the nation whose God is the Lord. And that doesn't mean we're looking for a theocracy in America. But what it is look uh, what what it is saying is let's acknowledge God is still ultimately in control, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on. Mm-hmm. And that, yes, mm-hmm. there are some things that need to be addressed. And I have no problem with Christians using um, the rights they have in this republic of ours to make sure that they strive to correct injustice. Mm-hmm. I think that's wise. But breaking the law mm-hmm. in order to change a law or injustice doesn't help your cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, on that, the, the Bible is clear. If, if the government calls me to do something or the lawmaker calls me to do something that goes against God, I have to obey God rather than men, right? right? So there are times when, when civil disobedience is required by my faith because the opposite would be to live outside of my faith. Right, so, and, and, and I think of just currently what we're in and we're slowly moving out of bed, and that is the, the phases we're using here at St. Mark Ministries to get people back into in-person worship. Mm-hmm. It was always three commandments. The third commandment, worship God only. He's the mm-hmm. only one you ultimately listen mm-hmm. to. Okay, fourth commandment, honor the government that God has allowed. You mm-hmm. may not like them, mm-hmm. but God has allowed to be established. Our government didn't say that we couldn't worship. They just said, for the sake of public health, Mm-hmm. Could you worship only online mm-hmm. or redo something if you have big numbers? And then the fifth commandment, obviously, don't murder. And, and what, one way you apply that is, okay, how can I best care for my neighbor, love my neighbor mm-hmm. as myself? And so you had to walk that line. And I know that people are listening to me. And I know that the people I serve at St. Mark Ministries, as well as you do, some are way on one end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some are way on the other. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. You know, you have to go ahead. And it's, a, it's sometimes it's a difficult path mm-hmm. to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as a Christian thinks about the, these things, uh, the vision of heaven, especially in Revelation, is of all nations, languages, tribes. You know, every every skin tone is is represented there in heaven, and every every yeah. one of those people has a, a story, has a background, has a... And that that is something that Jesus is, is intensely interested in, yeah. in redeeming that, reconciling, and bringing in, into the kingdom of God as part of the we are one, you know, the, the Jesus followers are one. Um, we're living stones. Each of us plays a different role. I mean, there's all kinds of images in the in the scriptures that talk about the necessity of having different skills, different backgrounds, different passions. I um, mean, part of that is informed by the neighborhood you grew up in or the yeah, the, the ethnicity or, that you or grew up in. Or how your parents from. talked about yep. others that didn't look like you. Yep, yep, 100%. And uh, um, to recognize that, to rejoice in those, to to be thankful for them, um, and to honor them in other people, I think too. Uh, I, you know, well, it as, starts with us. It yep. starts with individual relationships and opportunity. Yeah, you know, people are really divided right now. I think across our nation, we've been seeing a polarization. But things like white privilege, systemic racism, Black Lives Matter seem to have the power to polarize. Is there room for difference of opinion on social issues? How do Christians who might find themselves on opposite ends of the spectrum on these hot button topics find peace and reconciliation and unity? That's a big one. 
with their family of faith, even if they don't agree on a social on a particular social issue. I think this you got to start with what you had just mentioned earlier, and that is discussions. But no one wants to have discussions, or seemingly it's it, it, no one wants discussions because it's like if you don't agree with one group, then obviously you're wrong, mm-hmm. and, and that's not it. We need to have discussions. You need to be able to sit down and say, okay, let me listen to you and see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after, maybe maybe you're going to say something that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I may not agree with you, but I'm going to at least uh, honor you by listening to what you have to say. And then hopefully the person will do the same for you. I, I think that's that's a real key. But, you know, here's some, when when Christians have these conversations, some things you got got to be guided by was recognize that God's love is is boundless. Mm. You know, the Apostle Peter probably had some issues with Gentiles, as opposed to, and Romans, as a, specifically Romans, <laughs> uh, you know, as to uh, him being Jewish. And yet he finds out in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, hey, God doesn't show favoritism. And that's a really important phrase. If you read your Bible, you go, okay, yeah, I get that. Well, Peter, that was a big deal for Peter, because mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. thought, ah, oh, they're not Jews. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that he wants to save them. God's love's not only boundless, as we talked about, but it, it makes up his church, and it's in diverse ways. And you just mentioned it. My, one of my favorite portions of scripture to read at a Christian funeral is Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and following. I think it's 9 through 16, where it says, John says, Behold, I, I saw this vision of heaven, of every tribe, nation, people, and language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So much for, hey, only white people or only black <laughs> people or only Asian people or whatever. Pick your group are going to be in heaven. That's not true. Or only 144,000 are going to mm. be in heaven. It says <laughs> no number that you can count. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I think you have to remember that as well. A God's boundless love instructs us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It says in Mark 12, 28 and through 31. And Jesus made clear that your neighbor is a fellow human being for whom he died. I think of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, make sure you show the proper respect mm-hmm. to other people. And all of this really encompasses the conversations you have. And make sure you don't do things in a selfish way. You try to put the interest of others first, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Um, you know, uh, if, if you've sinned against someone, if you let emotion get the best of you in a conversation, repent. Mm. Ask for someone's forgiveness. And if they've done the same for you, yeah. Yeah. grant them that forgiveness. A- absolutely. Or bring that to their attention. And then when they repent, grant them that forgiveness. So all those, and believe me, as you know, I, I'm very politically savvy in the sense that I watch a yeah. lot of things, yeah. read a lot of things, and listen to a lot of things. And uh, I'm a little older than you. And <laughs> what's interesting is most of what I'm seeing today has already been repeated several yeah. times in my ministry and certainly several times in my life on this earth. I think there's, you talked about the the whole COVID and isolation. I think we're living in a really strange time. And maybe part of the reason this has blown up so fast is people aren't able to have, or they're being encouraged not to have kind of that face-to-face, you know, let's talk over a beer, let's, let's talk over dinner, whatever. We can't have that right now. And so people are resorting to social media and it just turns really quickly into this assassination uh, attempt on a person's character or their, you know, their other views, whatever. Um, but I, you know, I thought of, as I thought about how do you have differences and still have peace and unity? Um, I think two things. One, you got to extend to the other person the benefit of the doubt and assume they've thought carefully about it. They're well-informed. They're careful. They're deliberative in how does God's word apply to this, especially if you're talking to a Christian. And then you've got to do them, them the courtesy of, so you extend that grace and you make sure that your thoughts, 
your position is well thought out and willing to be changed if, if something new comes to light. So you've got you to really think through and make sure that your values are informing your position, not your position, your values. Because I think a lot of people get those two sure, confused. Absolutely. And they, it's a great they, temptation. It, it's, and it's easy to do, right? I want to be associated with this tribe. I was saying, I think you and I were talking about this a couple of days back, but we were ta- I was saying, if you fall into this camp, you have, you know, this extreme, you have a tribe there. There are people who, who will identify it. You can connect with them and they'll rah-rah you. If you go on the other end of the spectrum and you're in that position, there are other, there are people there that are excited for you and you've got a tribe and you identify. But really, truth is probably somewhere in the middle and that can be a very lonely place. But that's where you've got to stand. You've got to be able to think through those things and you have to do that in, in conversations with other people. And I think those two things... Um, really help have uh, create unity, even when there's diversity of opinion or thought. So what would you say, let's talk to pastors for a minute who are tuning in, because like I said, some of them will will come from a, a, a background that says, look, we're here to preach the gospel, eternal healing found in living water. Stop muddying that by engaging with social justice issues. How do you like, how do you walk through that with them, that this isn't muddying, but it is an extension of, of our status as heavenly citizens? I don't know that you can continue to minister as a gospel of Je- uh, as a minister of, of Jesus' gospel and not address the culture in which you're working mm. and you're ministering in. Now, um, uh, you know, when people say social gospel or social justice, I always ask yeah. them, especially social justice, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, if you mean, okay... Um, everyone should be treated with equality and without prejudice. Yeah, mm-hmm. sign me up. Right. I, I'm all for that kind of social justice. But what so often happens today, and it really bleeds out of, once again, I think a, a post-millennialist thought, and now it's become more with uh, others uh, from anti-Christian areas, that social justice is the idea that we're going to bring justice and fairness and peace and right wrongs through laws, mm-hmm. or maybe through force mm-hmm. if we need to do so. And for that, we're, we're not, we don't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. So as a Jesus follower, as a, a pastor of a congregation, uh, I'm going to make sure that uh, I talk as scripture does about people. And God's view of people, that should also be my view of people. Mm -hmm. And also when God says, you know what? This is a sin. It's a sin to burn down someone's place. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're angry. Mm -hmm. I might even understand your anger. doesn't excuse your crime and ultimately your sin before a holy God. Mm -hmm. So I I believe we need to speak as as Scripture does, understanding the context in which we're in. And I think that uh, as Christian pastors, we don't do us... We, we do a very dis, a great disservice if we don't at least somehow address the issues that our people are struggling with every day mm-hmm. from a Christian standpoint, using God's word as a guide, good law and gospel. Otherwise, we, we send our people out there after the weekend service mm-hmm. ill-equipped. Yeah, yeah. They're left adrift. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think of kind of connects for me. This is years ago. I heard somebody say that, you know, the Bible talks about homosexuality is a sin, but so is homophobia. So uh, I, again, it's it's. See, I would correct sin. you. I would say that homosexuality is a sin. The homosexual lifestyle sure, is a sin. Sure. I mean, if I struggle with that, I can be struggling with it and still be in God's. And I think most Christians would are quick to say the homosexuality or the homosexual lifestyle, sure. but not recognize the homophobia. Right. We're in the same position here. Or in Wisconsin, right? not recognize consuming uh, 750 milliliters of Kessler every day <laughs> is a sin. First of right. all. Don't choose Kesslers because friends don't let friends drink Kesslers. But I mean, alcoholism is a sin. Yeah, yeah, we like to yeah. rank sins. We yes, do. Yeah. As you said, we like to rank yeah. sins. And and we 
coming at this, depending on what side you're coming from, you're probably ranking the burning of a target as higher than the race or the, you know, you're, you're trying to stratify these. They are all sin. Correct. Right? And for which we all have a savior. Correct. And only he brings peace and only he brings uh, the reconciliation. We were just, I think you just picked yesterday, right? Uh, from, uh, what was it? The the ministry of reconciliation was that second yeah, Corinthians. Se- second Corinthians five. Yeah, the, we are the we are ministers of 16 reconciliation. Sixteen through twenty one, and primarily it's God to humanity. Right. But then that leaks out when we're reconciled with God. That has impact. Yeah, on that motivates us and empowers us to share a message that yeah. people need to hear, yeah. just as we do. It seems like there's only bad news. Do you see reasons for hope in the midst of all this? I do. I, I see it every morning. The sun rises and the sun sets. <laughs> God's still in control, and if you look back on history, it points to the fact that he and his word continues to march on and continues to do what he wants done until he returns that second and final time, even during difficult times as these. And that's why I love reading the Old Testament. I love reading the Old Testament because, you see, they had difficult times. They had warfare. They had strife. They had racial tension. Mm -hmm. They had financial disasters. They had all that and more, and what did God do? Still in control. Mm. Doesn't mean it wasn't messy for the people living at that time. Doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. Doesn't mean that there wasn't injustice. It means God's still in control, and he marches continually. And guess what? You and I are having this discussion from a biblical basis because he still marches on with his work. Thanks for that comfort. This conversation isn't over, not by a long shot. Anytime there's an opportunity like this, it's good for the child of God to take a reflective look inward and ask, what can I do better? What have I missed up to this point that is close to the heart of God? We're called to be salt and light. We talked about that from uh, Matthew 5 uh, on this earth, which means we don't have the luxury of backing away from difficult circumstances and conversations, but instead we lean into them and seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Let's roll up our sleeves, get into the tough conversations, and be ready to have our eyes open and hearts changed as the gospel takes a new life and moves in powerful ways in every heart it touches. Thanks for tuning in, and I pray that our time together has made room for the fear of God to reign in your life.